everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on a what is still a beautiful Sunday in Washington. I hope it's it'll beautiful. stay that way. It looks like a and good we, day. We're hoping. We've got a great show today. Everybody on the D.C. dining scene knows the name Eric Bruner Yang. He's broken. He's broken the Good morning. He's broken the mold several times, first with his ramen spot, Toki Underground, and uh, then Maketo, which is they're two of the Super most... Super fashionable. Right. Two great places. Now he's got two, two, two restaurants in one spot at the equally as fashionable Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, uh, Brothers and Sisters, and Standing Room Only. We're going to be talking to him yeah. shortly. The restaurant is called Spoken English, but it's standing room only because you stand oh, while you eat. I can't read. <laughs> you know, i got to stop doing drugs That's before. That's my hashtag for I Spoken really, English. Hashtag standing room only. You know, we have this rule, no heroin before doing the show, but <laughs> right. I, I didn't pay attention. So um, I guess we all scream for ice cream. Mm-hmm. And Victoria Lai is in here. She's like, her, yeah, I never had that one before. Yeah, for so her okay. ice cream jubilee shop. Um, no, I feel like it should be like ice cream jubilee. Yeah, all right, yeah, Woo, yeah, that's yeah. exciting. All right, there we go. It's, uh, July is National Ice Cream Month, so we're going to get started early. We want to get I'll, that party started. I'll be fatter and happier by the time July rolls in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, Cantina Marina was a uh, Washington staple uh, on the waterfront. It's now been it's down, but back up as Cantina Bambina. And co-owner Nick Fontana's in. He also uh, uh, launched a, a new concept on the wharf, uh, Pearl Street Warehouse. It's a new music venue and a food venue and all kinds of stuff. You can eat and watch shows. 300 people, right? Exactly. Good-sized venue. He's in with his chef, Rob Brown. It's also at the wharf, by the way. Didn't I say that? Mm, I don't know. I think I said that, okay. but all right. We're going to be talking about that. And then I have, I hate to say a really old friend, because it makes it sound like we're old, but we're not really old. But we both started in the restaurant industry at the same time. Uh, Jessica Benarotti, right? Did I say it right? Benarotti. Because I only know her maiden si. name. <laughs> I still can't spell it. Okay. Well, that makes me feel better. Is in studio. She has been part of the D.C. food and wine scene for a very long time. You've seen her at restaurants all over the place. But now she is up to her neck in wines, and she is working for... That sounds it. Huneus Wines. Wines, and we're going to find out all about them, but she brought in a gorgeous selection of flower wines today, so we're going to get to that in just a little so bit. We, we got food, we got wine, we got ice, ice cream. cream. We could be, you know what, they could build a moat around this place, we'd be good. Right. And speaking of no moats, let's right. talk to Mitch Berliner over at Central Farm Markets and find out what's going there. You got good weather again today. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Yeah, it never rains <laughs> on you, man. We're very lucky. Um, I think the the good Lord wants to help the farmers out, so we're blessed. You think well, that's the great. good Lord's watching over you and the farmers? Okay. Well, so Mitch, hey, tell uh, us what's at market. What's happening? Well, I'll do that. But um, first, would you like me to come down to the studio and get the bees some coffee? It's kind of you know slow today. Right. Would that be helpful? I just drove. We just round tripped New York, so I'm a little uh, zonked. We're good. All righty. Well, okay. Next, you know, if you need a shot of coffee, we got Zeke's at all four of our markets. It's great, roasted locally, so we're happy to do it. Great people. Well, you managed um, to work that around to your advantage. Well, Zeke's is like getting a lot of coverage lately. They're really doing some incredible coffee in and around the DC market. 
They do. They got cold brew also. Mm-hmm. Wonderful people to be partnering with. So um, a shout out to all of them. They're really a bunch of wonderful, wonderful people. And everybody that works all their different stands that I've ever met in the last, you know, eight years, they've all been great. Well, that's um, terrific. So what do we got at the market? So it's it's everything. That's the bottom line. We've got every kind of berries, strawberries, cherries, sour cherries, royal cherries. What are royal cherries? It. Are royal cherries the, the red cherries or are they the Rainer cherries? The the uh, red ones, we got the Rainier as well, the white. So we've got different kinds. And we got the sour cherries, but because of political correctness, <laughs> we're not calling them sour cherries anymore. What are they? We're calling them pie cherries. Pie cherries. Not pie like in, you know, the math pie. But no, like no, no. Like pie. I get it. I get it. Vasa with the cherries. I okay. need to know, Are we? do we finally have tomatoes that are actually vine-grown and out we in the have, fields? We have vine-grown tomatoes. Yay. We have heirloom probably about eight kinds. We have probably six kinds of heirloom cherry tomatoes. We have the first peaches of the season, the first plums of the season. And uh, corn will be here next week. All right. Where, where will the corn be from? The corn is going to come from the northern neck. You go down 95, make a left at Fredericksburg, and it's the three peninsulas. Okay. Like where Williamsburg is. And that they have like a, a mini climate down there that usually starts two, three, four weeks earlier mm-hmm. down here and up in Pennsylvania. So we purposely have farmers from all over the region so that we always can extend our season the longest with the different various crops. Fantastic. You know what I love? Hearing you, hearing you talk about the little neck makes me realize you know something. That's he knows great. a lot of things. <laughs> Uh, let me tell you, I am so full of useless information, you have no idea. That's what Debbie says. Okay. Okay. Central All right. Tell everybody Farm. where the three markets are. We have four markets Four markets. Now. Go to centralfarmmarkets.com to find out times and places. We're at, the West, uh, we're at Westfield Montgomery Mall in Pike and Rose on Saturday, downtown Bethesda near the library, and Mosaic District. On Sundays. And thank you, folks. Enjoy right, your buddy. day. Take care. Support Thanks, your farmers. Take care. Bye-bye. So, Jessica. Jessica. Tell us about Huneus Wines. Yeah. And what does that word mean? Huneus <laughs> <laughs> is the last name of the owner of the company, Augustin Huneus. Um, and That's a he, fancy name. He, they're from Chile. They, okay. Yeah, they were actually, um, his father, Augustin Huneus Sr., uh, was uh, the founder of Concho y Toro. Uh, in Chile, but was kind of run out of the, uh, Chile, by the Chilean government and made it to the U.S. and is now basically one of the grandfathers of wine coming out of Napa Valley. He, uh, but how did that, how did that happen? How did he get into the wine yeah, in the U.S.? Yeah, how did he get into it? Yes. Uh, from some good business connections. He's definitely not only a wine maker and knowledgeable about wine, but he's a businessman. First mm-hmm. and foremost, when he, they brought him into, uh, Concho Hitoro, he was a, um, a business person basically looking at it as an investment so who like what kind of wines do they look to have in their portfolio so we're family owned by by his son now as the owner and we are in the luxury wine market we're looking for wines that are made in really respectable ways uh sustainably organically biodynamically although not certified right well so let me ask you a question about that so all the wines in your portfolio are biodynamic they're all farmed in, okay. in that way. Uh, the vineyards that we own, we do source some grapes that are not 
officially all farmed that way, but we do everything is 100% sustainable. Mm-hmm. But um, Valerie and Augusta and Huneus, when they planted Quintessa before you could get biodynamically certified, were planting that way. Okay. And so they feel strongly that they don't need to join the club. Do you that guys they made ever it. worry that somebody listening out there doesn't know what biodynamic okay, means? Okay, well, I was just going to say, I mean, we've discussed biodynamic at length on this show over the last 10 years, but just to... You're talking you, about like a couple of nuclear scientists in the, in the restroom. A, can you give or, like a little primer uh, for those for the uninitiated on what biodynamic means? There's some farming that goes in with the, with like the moon and the sun, yes. and you bury, uh, you bury cow horns. That's what some people know about it. Some people just Still know... The cow, or <laughs> no, that it might not give them as much of a hangover, but that really is just after you drink two bottles of wine. Any wine will give right. you a hangover. Um, but no, no fertilizer. Um, you know, farmed as as kind of the way the land was made as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So flowers is in your profile. Tell us a little bit about what you're pouring first, and then we'll get more into flowers when we come back to you later in the show. Sure. Sure. We purchased um, flowers from Joan and Walt Flowers, and today I'm pouring. The uh, rosé. It's a hundred percent Pinot Noir. All day. What a way to start off the show. I'm good with it. So, very yeah, you put popular. Put a, a needle in Nikki's arm, and that's what comes right. out. Right. I mean, I know. don't need the. I don't really need a glass. Just uh. plug it. I love it. I can't okay. wait to hear. Put what a you label on it. it. Should be a big bottle of rosé. Okay. All right. Well, while you're pouring that for everybody in studio, we're going to start talking to Eric Brunner-Yang. So for those of you who don't know, Eric Brunner-Yang has just kicked off his two biggest projects in D.C. at the Line Hotel. Uh, David and I are super familiar with the Line Hotel because we do have another show there on Monday's Industry Night. Just a little plug there. Uh, but uh, so I'm at the Line all the time because it's such a she-she place and everybody really wants to meet there. And where you meet is Eric's First restaurant, brothers and sisters. Hi. Hey, good morning. How are you? Good. So, I, you know, listen, you've been in D.C. a long time, and I think we've only had you on the show once, but I'd love to give people just a twice? Twice. Maybe twice? Yeah. Okay, tiny each, little... Each new opening. Each new opening. Yeah. Well, then we're constantly celebrating Eric Brunner. Well, when he looked at me, he said, not you again. So. Uh, oh, no, no. You well, said the same you. when I was late. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's not what I said. So, <laughs> just can we give everybody just like a quick 411 on your background, like when you started in D.C., what you started with, and how you wound up, up with the line? Yeah, no problem. Uh, I moved to Washington, D.C., 2007, um, and opened Sticky Rice on H Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I uh, ventured into my own owning my own businesses starting in 2011 with Toki Underground. Right. And then we did Toki Underground. Maketo, and then uh, from Maketo to this project at the Line Hotel. Mm-hmm. I actually had been in discussion with doing this Line Hotel project since 2012, so it's pretty awesome that it's finally open, and I'm standing uh, and in that room. For the record, like the Line Hotel, well, that hotel specific in that space, it wasn't always the Line, but like a hotel was going to open up in that church since I think 2007. Like I remember yeah. Jose Andre originally talking about opening up a restaurant yeah, there. Yeah, Marriotts and what right, SLS like it was like right. It was yeah. a whole bunch of things. So then the Sidel Group now opened up the Line. So I mean, you have brothers and sisters encompasses the entire first floor lobby. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> it is huge. It's beautiful. It's epic. It's huge. It's but modern, it's old. But how did you come up with the restaurant concept for that? Because you're basically, like, I can sit on a couch for a meeting and I can order some snacks or I can sit at a table and have a few me- a, like, a whole meal. It's like the Starbucks concept with awesome food. And, Thank you. you know, I mean, that's what it's like. You go in there and people are working on their laptops and eating. People are hanging. The yeah. burger. 
I, love I mean, for donut. me, it's my f- for the listeners, it's my first restaurant that's not really Asian, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of the goal. Most people know me for cooking kind of modern Asian food or Asian food in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to not do something Asian. Um, I mean, I think there's going to be Asian touches because that's like who I'm, who I am as a person. But mm-hmm. um, that was kind of the goal. That's why we didn't really talk about the food or the concept before we opened. And I think people were really surprised when we finally did open and we were doing burgers and Caesar salads. And I think yeah, it, but I think when you say burgers and Caesar salad, you're giving people the idea that it's very. It's what it's already what you know, and that's not the case. Your burger is not a normal burger. Right. It's like a burger for three. It's, it's very like, big. Yeah, it's a two Hawaiian. It's like Hawaiian rolls, the, right? Like the Parker House rolls mm-hmm. with a big knife going through it. Two pat a double patty with short rib. It's. I really got tired of cutting burgers up for people, so we presented it in a yeah, way where got stuff pe- people can cut it themselves and they're having fun doing it and it looks fun. Yeah, it's a group dish. Yeah, um, the but- octopus dog. Yeah, that's like a play on takoyaki, mm-hmm. um, but in a hot dog form. It's fabulous. But also, you know, you have, I think, like that avocado dish is my favorite. I order that for breakfast when I'm there for breakfast meetings. You know, you, you took, I think you took things that are very popular right now and did a spin. You yeah. know, so like grain bowls are huge and avocado toast are huge. And instead you did an avocado covered in grains. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So are you constantly evolving that menu or like how does it work? With a concept that big, I think we we kind of finally came, it finally came together the last like week before training because it kind of mm-hmm. kept changing the opening date. So I was really procrastinating on what the final menu was going to be. Mm-hmm. And then we that put doesn't it to, sound like you at all. No, and then we finally did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it keeps evolving. So it's changed again. You guys have seen it change. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll continue to change. That's the hardest part is because I like to do changes and it's. In a hotel structure, it's much more complicated. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, um, I want to talk about your new, the secondary concept, um, and uh, talk a little bit about what's going on in the restaurant scene in D.C. just a little bit. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a minute. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Before we get back to Eric Bruner Yang and the show, I just want to thank our sponsors, folks at ProFish, Central Farm Markets, Meat Crafters, and, of course, the Market at River Falls if you're grilling this summer. Don't forget, though, when you say uh, ProFish, that also means Ivy City and Tony and Joe's and Nick's, all those places. Boy. They're all a part of it. Those guys are getting a twofer. Okay. (laughs) So, Eric, back to you. Yeah. So, Eric. Hey, hey. um, Okay. So, you've got this massive restaurant in the lobby. You're also doing all the room service. Yeah, we do room service, 24-hour room service, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Mm -hmm. Um, We open... It's kind of nice. It's if you're in Adams Morgan, we open every morning for breakfast from 6:30 to 10:30. A mm-hmm. lot of people don't know, um, and then we do that same all-day menu from then until close. And um, and then you recently, so what was it? Two and a half months ago? Yeah, I think beginning of ago? April, we opened yeah. the second concept. Um, Spoken English. Yeah, that one we had been work. That in the back background was always supposed to going to be like my pineapples and pearls kind of mm-hmm. experience, right? But then um, as we started working through it, I realized that I just don't really enjoy cooking in that capacity and or eating in that capacity. So then we changed it into this kind of standing pub, Tachinimoya, which is what it's really called, basically like these standing barbecue restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? Tachi? Tachinimoya. Tachi if I say it slow, I'm going to mess it up. Okay, Tachinimoya. Yeah, I say fast. Okay, Tachinimoya. I thought, so, everybody, so I thought are, everyone knew that. Yeah. <laughs> so you took a concept where people stand up and eat. I mean, when I think of standing up and eating, I think of being in like Italy. Yep. You know, you go to the snack bar, you have a Always. quick... 
espresso you know what? I prosciutto think was, with bread. I think of standing yes. in front of the refrigerator at two in the morning trying well, to figure out. Well, there's that too. Yeah, we all, we always we also kind of picture like if you are going to a dinner party at your friend's house and they have a beautiful house mm-hmm. and you're already having so much fun fun at the counter drinking wine, picking at the You, you, you end up never sitting down, right? Um, and so that's kind of that same kind of. But what's experience. on the? Can we talk about the menu here? Because this is more of your older Asian influences. Yeah, this is definitely like. Balls to the walls. We have um, our old CDC from Maketo, James, kind of spearheading it with another great That's chef named Matt. Thing, just saying. So you know. yep. James and Matt are the co-chefs, mm-hmm. and um, we do whole roast ducks. We have this beautiful wood. Um, That's wood what I oven. haven't had. I mean, I've had a lot of the stuff yeah. on the menu, but I haven't done the whole roast. Yeah, yet. the duck is amazing. Do you have to order that in advance? No. No. We make it happen. Okay. Yeah. I have no doubt. They don't want the ducks to have any warning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're ducky. You're, like, You're ready. Boil, you know. Boil. Got some good tips from Druno, and the duck is really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do, so that's our one main course, and our second main course for $25 is we prepare a chicken in 10 different ways, all the different type of traditional yakitori styles, plus some of our twists. And then we do small plates and desserts and stuff. So how do people get in? Do they just come and wait? Uh, you can make a reservation on reserve.com. Oh, you can? Yeah. So originally it was first come, first serve, but we're already making you stand, so we didn't want to make you wait. I think that's smart. Can I interject with a a, take you to a totally different place? Yeah. So Red Hen down in Lexington, Virginia, Yes. just had an encounter with Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And, of course, the Red Hen up here is is combating the, the lack of information that's out there on the Internet to make sure people know that it wasn't these guys here right. that refused her service. But what's your feeling about all that? Well, I think the administration and the Supreme Court set the precedent that you can just, you can turn away business for now, right? Mm-hmm. And not make a... But that's a kind yeah. of a tit for tat. So is yeah. that... Well, I guess we were talking a little bit... I, about I'm actually kind of surprised that the Red Hen people, the D.C. ones, weren't like, oh, we would <laughs> we would have done the same. Well, I think... But <laughs> if first Stephen all, I think Miller it's a... walked into your restaurant, would you tell him to get out? I don't even think I would notice him. You'd notice him. My question is more, not so much... Comes of, in with that swastika flag. Okay. Yeah. Not so much whether or not you'll uh, afford hospitality to everybody who comes into your restaurant. But my question is more, to me, this whole thing with people coming in your restaurant and kicking them out, I mean, that's going to be a case-by-case basis. But I do think, given the divisiveness in this community, um, and given D.C. especially is so blue... Um, you know, like what happened with uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security right. and MXDC the other night with people yelling at her during the meal. I think we're going to see more of that. And my question to you as a as a major D.C. restaurant tour player is what's the response? How do we how do we be how do we continue to be in the hospitality industry in this mess? Our approach, even back during the inauguration, mm-hmm. um what has always been that our employees feel safe, that our employees feel like they have a safe place to work, that they have an environment where they can express themselves, whether they agree politically one way or another, as long as they're not doing anything that's dangerous or makes other people uncomfortable and other people um, feel like they're in a hostile work environment. That's how we've kind of always approached most of our problems, mm-hmm. um, and that's how we'll continue to tackle them, is mostly on the employee side before we even get to the customer well, side. Well, if you have people who are not your, who are not eating at the restaurant... See, I have... I, I, I'm with the, the Red Hen in, in Lexington 
They don't want her there to tell her to leave. Yeah. I'm not with people, whether they, they, they found out Kirsten Nielsen was there or they stalked her, coming into the restaurant and doing that. They want to wait for her on the sidewalk and yell at her, fine. But I think it's over the edge to come in there and basically take over the restaurant screaming at anybody. Yeah, and I think that that, that situation for us is that could turn into a potential situation where your staff is not safe, right? Or the other guests in there aren't in. It just in, could get out of hand. It can get really crazy. So mm-hmm. that's how we've always approached it, though, and that's what we'll kind of continue to do if we do have these incidents, even if there's some high-profile people. If we know a high-profile guest is going to come in that might may not be popular or controversial, typically you'll know in advance. Mm-hmm. You have the right to choose whether or not you're going to take their business, and we'll always choose to make sure if we do or we don't that our staff is safe. And we feel like if we're going to be in a situation the staff's not safe, then we'll turn the guests well, down. Well, how about... The, I you, think that makes sense. You also have to... to Give a nod to the tone deafness of Kirsten Nielsen eating in a Mexican restaurant. She, I, I mean, mean, she kind of asked for that one. Well, you know? A little bit. I mean, I'm with I you. Mean, All right. Well, thank you. I mean, I appreciate you opening up to discuss that because I think people, it's it's an important conversation at this point, And given that we're all in D.C., we're yeah. going to see more of it. Um, well, tell everybody where they can find you at the line, please. Uh, I'm typically working breakfast at the line, so okay. if you want to come see me personally, personally? yeah, I'll be there during <laughs> breakfast about five days a week from 6.30 to about 2.30 in the afternoon. Okay. Uh, but anyways, I'm at the line hotel, brothers and sisters in spoken English. You can go to the linehotel.com slash DC mm-hmm. to get all of those reservations. Please continue to go to Maketo. It's, a, it's an important part of Washington, DC and Atria is just not that flourishing as it used to be. So 1351 H Street Northeast. Absolutely. Dim sum, right? Yeah, dim sum Sunday. We had an amazing Sunday. We love it. We have to go back. All right. right. Thank Thank you you for having me. I'm glad I made it right on time. Right on time, dude. Right on time. All right, right, Jess, we're going to go back to you. This rosé is so perfect this morning. Um, Tell us a little bit about it. Sure. Uh, This rosé is made um, to be a wine. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's 100% Pinot Noir. We grow the grapes. Um, to make this special wine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's extreme Sonoma Coast, uh, high elevation. So we're less than two miles from the ocean. So we've, and then high elevation above 1,400 feet. So. I think this, I'm getting the sense that there should be like a, a foodie and the beast field trip. So Why that we aren't can we really doing really this? <laughs> well, seriously, yeah. like, I mean, we should be doing works. this show live every Sunday from that spot. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you, and do the you fact that we're not, A, I want to say A, sucks, and B, shows how generous you're not. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Anytime you guys find yourself on the on No, the we don't find it. That's the problem. Go. There is no time when we find ourselves. <laughs> anyway, so it's close to the water. Yes, we're we're right um, less than two miles from the Pacific Ocean. You can actually see the vineyard from a wine we're going to taste on our last estate wine. But, okay, um, there really I, a lot of Pinot Noirs are, are a lot of rosé out there is inexpensive. It's not made with Pinot Noir. It's made with kind of more leftover grapes. It's more mm-hmm. of an afterthought wine. So and that's why you see rosé very inexpensive. This is not an inexpensive rosé. What does it market for normally? You would see it for about thirty dollars on the shelf, and then mm-hmm. about. Anywhere from sixty to a hundred on a wine list. Sure, um, but it, it really is an elegant. It's very elegant, refined. No, rose. because I think some of those other rosés. Not that there's anything wrong with them, but they're like water. I mean, you know, they go down really easy and go down really fast, and it's because there's not the same sort of care given to them. And I mean, I think most people know that. 
Um, even some of the Provence uh, wines from Provence, you know, same sort of thing. Um, anyway, what are you going to pour next? Next, we're going to taste the Flowers Chardonnay. Um, okay. I was an ABC drinker before anything but Chardonnay, and this changed my tune. So Okay, yeah, because California Chardonnay, people have a, they already have a negative feeling about it. You know, because of like butter, like because of stuff from like the late eighties and nineties, like buttery, big, yellow. But this is going to be different. Yes, we're, okay. we're, a lot of finesse and elegance coming up. Excellent. All right, we'll talk to you. Big afterwards. words. All right. So we're going to go from wine to ice cream. Uh, Victoria Lie founded Ice Cream Jubilee as a blog while working as an attorney and presidential appointee appointee at DHS. And um, uh, now she's in the ice cream business. She founded Ice Cream Jubilee. It won a People's Choice Award in a citywide ice cream competition. And she said, the hell with the law and the hell with all those bills for law school. But you're like one of the first people to open up a ice cream place in D.C. That's not a huge chain or anything like that. So where did you get where did you get the gumption? That's a big thing to do. Yeah, it's been a real trip. <laughs> um, everything from leaving the law and entering into the food world in Washington, D.C., l- meeting the entire food community here, and, um, of course, making ice cream and right. uh, and inventing flavors all the time. That's what I love to do, and it's a dream that I can do that on a regular basis. Well, so I- how did you come up with your – thank you. How did you come up with your ice cream process? Were you, what was it you were looking to make in your ice creams? Well – you know, I I think of ice cream rather than gelato as a real traditional experience for me. It's very American to me. However, my American experience as, uh, you know, a Chinese-American girl growing up in Texas is very different. And I'm, I, I love being authentic to that. So you'll see a lot of um, inspiration from international flavors, mm-hmm. but also from cocktails that I love, and also from um, you know childhood favorites. Well, let me mention that we're on Facebook Live. You go to Nikki Nellis, N-Y-C-C-I Nellis, and uh, our Facebook Live cameraman today is Eli Nellis, one of the foremost ice cream experts in <laughs> the Washington, D.C., in the DMA. Um, if it exists, he's eating it, yes. and, he's, and he's trying to figure out how to eat it with one hand now. Right. right. Well, I just put some in his mouth. Okay. So he's, right. he's in good shape. Wait, what am I eating right now? Because this is so yummy. I'm eating cookies and cream. So the two of you guys are having our two top sellers, mm. banana bourbon caramel and oh cookies and cookie dough. Mm. So all of our ice cream is made right here in Washington, D.C. And I mm-hmm. think that freshness is something that is foreign to a lot of people's ice cream experience. You know, if you take something off the shelf in um, in a grocery store, you have no idea when it was made. Exactly. You have None. no idea when it's going to be. It was made and it was. It came from across the country where it was probably made, you know, months in mm-hmm. advance. Um, and even some of the national chains that have opened up here in D.C., you know, they're shipping in their ice cream from cross country. And um, and uh, and you can taste that sort of different experience. So you're batching yours. Absolutely. We make ours in small batches, mm-hmm. six gallons at a time. And what I love the most is. And do you think use- that affects a creamier outcome? Um, you know, I think it lets us be more careful with our flavors. Okay. It lets us add more um, unique swirls and mix-ins. But the creaminess, really, um, I have to thank South Mountain Creamery in Middletown, Maryland for that. 
I love this farm. It's uh, one of the longest-running family farms in Maryland. Um, you can go up there and meet all the cows. You can pet the calves. Oh, my God, another field trip. It is so much fun. <laughs> and Wait, um, I have to cut you off. Are these cows that are going to be buried with the... No, no. Okay. okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dig into more ice cream, and we'll hear more about the cows and the how you work with local and producers. I'm getting drunk on this ice cream. It's great. This is David and Nikki Nels with Booty and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Food and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to attorney, I guess former attorney, Victoria Lai. We're talking to Ice Cream Maker. Who is the founder of Ice Ice Cream Cream Jubilee, and her ice creams and her sorbets are out of this world. But, I mean... Uh, how, why ice cream? Why like, ice how did cream? that happen? Yeah, really, why ice cream? You're sitting at your desk, you say, go home, and, you know, two in the morning, looking through law books and going, I well, need a fix? You know, I, I did a lot of thinking about this, and I didn't have to think so hard after all, because... Every single one of us has a happy memory about ice cream. It's it's undeniable. You know, you could be, um, yeah. Nobody like looks young. back on their lives exactly. and was like, yeah, that time I had ice cream. Like nobody gets angry about and it's that. It's always a specific incident. You know, you can say, oh, you know, it was that summer that I would go- walk down the street with my grandfather every, you know, every mm-hmm. week or every Saturday. Or that or- summer when my father would say, no, you can't go out to the <laughs> ice cream man. Or like, you know, sitting around with your college friends or, you know, you and your brother just saving up for those ice cream cones. Everybody has a happy memory about ice cream. And mine specifically was, um, you know, when my dad would come home late from work. Um, he was actually training to be a physician while my sister and I were growing up. So he would come home very late. We'd already be in bed. Um, and he'd yell up the stairs, who wants ice cream? He'd buy you off with ice cream. (laughs) But it was just lovely. You know, you would forget all of, uh, you know, you would, you would end the day in a very, very nice way in togetherness and flavor and laughter. And I think that's what I get to see every single time I'm in the ice cream store. Okay, but my big question is, is that how did you decide on your ice cream process? Because there are lots of ways to make ice cream. Mm-hmm. So the habanero is delicious. Um, and you have really unique flavors. So... Like, how many ice creams do you make in total? I know a lot of them are seasonal, but how right. many do you make in total? Gosh, we probably have at least 60 flavors, but we have 18 to 20 flavors, um, 16 to 18 flavors in store at a time. Okay. And that includes all of the vegan sorbets that we also carry. Okay, let's get into that. <laughs> vegan sorbets. What does that even mean? So um, people always ask, do you have any non-dairy ice cream? And that's a hard question because ice creams are, by definition, Dairy. Use dairy. Exactly. So we have creamy vegan sorbets that have a coconut base Mm -hmm. or they're fruity, um, like this gin and tonic sorbet that I brought into. Oh, I should probably try this. (laughs) Um, Here. And, um, and so it's just like an ice cream, but without any of the lactose, any of the dairy that a mm-hmm. lot of people are trying to avoid. Right. Um, and instead of just having your standard, um, you know, salted caramel or um, not that there's anything wrong with it, I try to bring in the diversity of flavors, the diversity of experiences that I bring to my dairy ice creams mm-hmm. to our vegan ice cream. So we have espresso colada in stores now. We have um, this and new one. And is that one. like an icy... The espresso colada, would that be a creamy or no, icy confection? Good. It's a creamy, non-dairy sorbet because okay. we use coconut cream. Sure. I'm here to say that the gin and tonic sorbet is a winner. It's delicious. And you know yeah. what's even better? When you um, add it Have a gin a and tonic with it? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so My- are you working with local mixologists? Are you working with people to sort of 
make those kinds of concoctions and connections? We um we do sell a lot of our ice creams to local restaurants. Right. And um and we love working with the chefs and the mixologists to to create some cocktails. There's this one that I'm really excited about, and I know you will be too, with our honey, lemon, lavender, and rosé. Mm-hmm. And this upcoming Saturday, the yards where my first um, store is located. Right, is they're doing a rosé a rosé all day rose event, all right? Day, exactly. Yeah. So um, Ice Cream Jubilee doesn't have a Are you a part of it? Do you know about mm-hmm. it? There's a rosé all day event um, at the yards. And like all these people, all the restaurants are participating. Mm-hmm. It's ten dollars per person to join, and then it's forty dollars if you want to be a VIP, and then you can sit at Whaley's. I know way more about these things than I should. <laughs> well, it's really all day. Why wouldn't you? Okay. Yeah, it's a great reason. Because it's know what I do about for it. a living. That's why I know mm-hmm. about these things. So I mean, and we have a passion fruit guava sorbet, which mm-hmm. I can't decide if I like that better in a vodka soda or with a splash of tequila on top. Yeah, no. I mean, I think all of why it sounds choose? really. Terrific. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk lastly about the halva because yeah. um, a lot of people don't know about halva. It's um, it's a specific flavor and taste and texture. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up with it and I love it. But um, you made a ice cream out of it and it's vegan, mm-hmm. which is so insane. One of the lo- one one of the things that I love doing is sharing experiences through my ice cream. So people don't know what halva is or they don't know what cardamom tastes like. Mm-hmm. And by having it in an ice cream store in a comfortable environment, makes it like very that, much more approachable, makes it approachable. So they're having new experiences like habanero in this mango ice cream. It tastes like a mango lassi. And then <laughs> eight seconds later, it's you get that kick. little kick. Um, that arc of experiences is great. But our sesame halva um, ice cream, it first was born out of a collaboration we did with um, Kava, mm-hmm. um, which was born out of Washington, D.C. as well. So we did a collaboration flavor with them um, as one of our many local collaborators. Um, and I think that it's creamy. It tastes like really rich sesame. Mm-hmm. And we p- sprinkle in some black sesame seeds. So it almost looks like a dragon fruit when you put it that's on your That's what cone. I said when I saw it. I was like, is that dragon fruit? Because mm-hmm. that's what it looks like. Right. But and I put the most amazing photo of that with the rainbow sprinkles on our Instagram. But talk about your old ago. standby. I mean, this is, you know. Cookies and cookie dough. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is. Sugar, sugar, ice- sugar, sugar. <laughs> ice cream is not sugar. rocket science. Yeah, I mean, I it just is good. And there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. So you take the best cream. You take, you know, homemade, mm-hmm. handmade eggless cookie dough that we make ourselves. And you mix that in with Oreo cookies into an ice cream. I just it's want to say for the delicious. record that the Chardonnay from Flowers goes lovely. <laughs> with the ice cream. Yeah, she dropped ice cream in my wine. <laughs> And you, you notice she didn't switch them. No, she just, that yeah. was unintentional. Right. I just want to say for the record. Okay. Um, now, how many brick and mortars do you have? I have two. Okay. One is in Yards Park in Southeast mm-hmm. D.C. in the Capitol River. That front. was your original? Original. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just when I threw care to the wind and said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a small business owner and just try this out. And my second store opened in 2016 on T Street at 14th. Mm-hmm. That's right by the room and board in Trader Joe's. Yeah. And terrible location. <laughs> like so bad. Lousy site selection. Right. right. And um, and then my third location is opening in September mm-hmm. in Boston Quarter. So it's in Arlington, Virginia. Oh, in Virginia. that new like food hall, right? It's going to be so amazing. We're going to be like 10 feet away from Timber Pizza, which is going to be wonderful for me personally. Right. And uh, you a know, little pizza, a little ice cream works out beautifully. There's dumplings, pizza, Swizzler. Um, right. Marjorie uh, Smoked and Stacked is going to uh-huh. be there. Yeah, there's quite a selection. Kevin, um, Kevin Tien, Tien from mm-hmm. Himitsu is opening up a place there. Yeah, absolutely. you're in very good company. It's going to be a wonderful place. It's going to totally change the um, the gravity 
of how Arlington operates and goes for fun. Well, good for you. Congratulations on all your success. And um, just tell everybody where they can find you, please. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you want the full list of our flavors, it's at icecreamjubilee.com. We always feature these Ooey gooey, drippy, messy cones on our Instagram feed at They're Ice Cream like Jubilee. Ridiculously delicious yeah. looking. Yes. And I would just also say the reason I named it Ice Cream Jubilee is you can't say Jubilee without smiling. So anytime you're just thinking about ice cream, just say Jubilee. You'll feel your face lift up. It's I love just that. the best. So well, I just have a suggestion. One Mm-hmm. One flavor that you invent down the road should be called Bye Bye Law School or something like that. <laughs> what would that taste like? Yeah. It tastes Just like joy, right? Yeah, pure, pure joy. joy. Right, pure sure. joy. All right. Well, thank you so thank much. You thank you for, for joining me. us. Jess, we're going to come back to you. Jessica is pouring, just poured us a Chardonnay from Flowers. It's delicious. It doesn't have any of the classic Napa Valley, buttery, oaky, yellowy Chardonnay um, uh, tasting points at all. Yeah, the the minerality is what really stands right. out to me and, and kind of changed my uh, view on Chardonnay in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that high altitude and being near the water of the extreme Sonoma coast. But it also, you know, we, we use neutral oak and stainless steel um, and a little bit uh, 18% new barrels. So it, it gets basically a kiss of oak. Right. But a lot of well, people I don't think a lot of people know about neutral oak. You know what I mean? I think because for so long, California Chardonnays especially just were like big oak. You know, it was such like an important um, point for them. So it's really. So why did they go the opposite direction? I, I think the grapes stand so well on their own because mm-hmm. of the climate that they're grown in. It's a really special climate being in, in the kind of cold, then warm, and then high elevation. Uh-huh. So you don't want to put necessarily this beautiful juice that's coming out of these grapes in an oak barrel to add mask flavor. Mask it. Just you mask it. The, right. grapes, the grapes speak for themselves. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, what are you pouring next? I will be pouring the Pinot Noir from Flowers that kind of put them on the map. Excellent. Okay, can't wait to try it. Uh, and now we're going to talk about the newest happening on the wharf, Pearl Street Warehouse. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you Nick for Fontana hanging out and joining us. Rob Brown is the chef, and they, you know, like, you know, you know, I'm on this show, right? I'm, I'm the taster. So now the ice cream's gone, and in front of me is a right, beautiful. Right, we did this out like, of order. Looks like a BLT. <laughs> yes. And is this pimento? Good lord, yes. jalapeno pimento cheese and um. And that's beautiful. I'm going to give it all a all shot. All right, well, so Nick, can we start with People you because know. you've been in the DC food and wine scene for a really. I'm, I'm not trying to age you, but you've been around for a while. And, you're um, old, Nick. Come on. Yeah, thank no, you. you're not old. But I'm just sort of curious. Like, you opened up the original cantina in an area and at a time where people were not going down to what is now the wharf. Yeah, so t- can we talk about that a little bit? Thank you. Yeah, 2003, we signed a lease uh, with the city, you know, D.C. government, to take over what used to be the Gangplank Restaurant. The Gangplank Marina. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> So May of 2003. Literally, when you went there, you walked it. Right. It was uh, yeah. not a nice neighborhood, but it's uh, we we had uh, you know promises and idea that it would change, and so we staked our claim down there, and and it was uh, took a while. You know, it, it it was hard to even get our friends from Chinatown because we did have Capital Q in Chinatown, which we opened in '97 when sure. the Verizon or MCI Center opened. So it was hard even to get our friends to get to Southwest Waterfront. They sure. Were like, How do we get there? Well, take Seventh Street till you run into the water right. and make Just a left. Just take it straight. Right. You could walk it. You know, you could walk it. So, um, so yeah, in the neighborhood, it, it finally did pop, and it popped quick. Mm-hmm. So. And so, but when the transition came at the wharf, 
What did you decide to do with the cantina? Well, we did, you know, our lease was uh, up at the end of the year. We wanted an extension to stay at least through this summer and do the all-star game. You know, that yeah, was kind I mean, of like, our, our yeah. ideal. And, with good uh, reason. But they wanted to tear it down and get started on phase two. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, we closed at the end of October of uh, last year. And now you have Cantina Bambino. Cantina Bambino, which is uh, kind of a uh, bar with a snack bar underneath. Okay. So, so it doesn't provide the same. I mean, it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous. Oh, the view is amazing. It's building. Really one of the best views. It's like just out, right? It's yep. stunning. Right in front of the anthem on top mm-hmm. of the water. We need to take a break, but then I want to find out how you hooked up with Rob. And I'm going to take a bite out of this. And then we'll talk the about Pearl Street yeah. Warehouse. All right. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a minute. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Nick Fontana and Rob Brown, his chef. Over I'm not Pearl talking Street. to anybody. I'm eating um, caprese salad. Yeah, it's I'm really gonna, yummy. Well, why don't you guys talk? I'll eat. <laughs> okay. So, um, okay so Pearl Street Warehouse. Well, Let's tell everybody what the um, the idea is, the concept. Uh, you know, the Wharf wanted to have an entertainment zone. So, you know, they had Anthem coming and, you know, Union Stage is there and then... Mr. Hoffman and his team came to us and said, hey, you know, would you be interested in doing more of a honky-tonk since you were in the barbecue business? And uh, we said, we'd love to do a music venue, but we don't want to just do a honky-tonk and be country and western and just do, you know, we don't want to do barbecue. You don't strike me as a country and western kind of guy. So, uh, But we wanted to do something that was unique to the city. I mean, we're street level. We can open the garage doors, mm-hmm. and you can stand outside and listen to music on some nights. It's very New Orleans, Austin, Nashville kind of a place. Okay. Um, so, but it has a very small kitchen, which is challenging for Rob because we really can't do entrees. Well, also because Rob's a big guy. Yeah. <laughs> so we kind of have a, a closet, a food truck without re- wheels and a, a, a venue that seats, you know, well, not seats, but our occupancy is about 300. So, so, so wait. It's a unique blend. So explain how it works. So while you do provide food service there, it is it, would you say it's primarily a a music hall that serves food, or are you a food service that has music? We're primarily a music hall with food. We're not a restaurant. Um, we, you know, we have our diner that d- does breakfast Thursday through Sunday, so we're open at eight thirty in the morning. We're one of the few places serving. I was going to say, so other than like the hotels, gravy, the hotels have breakfast, but. right? But that, but this is because I think one of the interesting things about the wharf at the moment, until all the phases are open, is that there's not a lot of easy in and easy out restaurants i mean there's taylor don't get me wrong but like there's not there's not a lot of easy in easy out restaurants i don't want to use fast casual because i think that that complicates it but it's a lot of restaurants well but not like easy in easy out so why don't we talk a little about the menu because rob and rob yes step up because it's not easy to make a good blt although that sounds ridiculous i mean no it doesn't i think you can easily screw up a blt yeah and this is a good blt Where'd so, you go to culinary school? Uh, CIA. New you went to CIA. Up in High Park? Yes. Such an amazing campus. It's great. So how did you put your menu together? Uh, I collaborated with, uh, with Nick. He told me what he wanted, and I pretty much just tried to execute it. Right. But did you have specific ideas that you were like, well, if he wants a BLT, I can do a BLT, but this is how I'm going to chef it up a little bit, or I'm going to play with it a little bit. What did you decide to bring? How did you put your own personality into it? Well, this is one BLT we had at Cantina Marina, so okay, that was a staple. People loved it, so we had to carry it over. Mm-hmm. The bread's the right choice, I can tell you that. I mean, it's great bread. And what about some of the other dishes that you're serving? Um, the we have a lamb burger, we have a uh, drugstore burger, which is our staple burger. Okay. Um, we have what a, is it called? Drugstore burger. Okay, what does that so mean? You used to be able to go to a counter in a drugstore and get That's a right. burger. Correct. Right. 
I know, but so what does that burger look like? For uh, those what, of us who didn't go to the drugstore and have a burger, <laughs> I would like to know what that looks like. So a four-ounce uh, patty has got mm-hmm. a uh, special sauce, uh, red onions, tomato, lettuce, mm-hmm. and that's a small uh, brioche bun. And you, you guys know? are open for lunch? Yes. Okay, so breakfast, lunch, and... Breakfast, lunch, and then through, through late night. You know, uh, Monday through Wednesday, we open at 3, and okay. breakfast, 8.30 a.m., Sunday through Thursday. Okay, and so, so what kind of what kind of music are we yeah, getting there? Let's yeah, talk about the acts that are coming in. Well, we're you know we're more Americanas, which is all you know all genres from you know bluegrass, country, a lot of blues, rock and roll, um, so kind of all over the spectrum. A little bit of singer songwriter, like who? Um, well, it's kind of nice because you have a nice small venue, right? I mean, three hundred is a good size. It's not too small, but it allows for a more intimate. Experience, I would assume. It's very intimate, you know, so you can, and we have a mezzanine, so you could be right, you know, no more than 20, 30 feet from the stage. And depending on if it's a seated show or standing, mm-hmm. we had Booker T that did our grand opening, then he was back a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We've had Jack Ingram from Texas, we've had... Does Booker uh, T come with the MGs or just Booker T by just himself? Just Booker T, I don't know how many MGs are left. Where are no. the MGs? <laughs> um, room full of blues, we've had, uh, so... It's, it's interesting. So, you know, check us, PearlStreetWarehouse.com, and you can kind of listen to the acts and see who's up and coming. You know, some breakout artists, some established artists. So how does the food interplay during the shows? Are people seated and eating, or are people standing? Like, how does it, you know, because all these music venues, everybody's very different. Everybody needs a food component, but how do you guys integrate the food into the show? Well, we usually have at least 100 chairs and or bar stools okay. for most shows, and then the rest is standing. Got it. So that's why we, we had to, you know, Rob's used to more full-service kitchen. So to get him to come and say, hey, we're going to just have to have make it simple mm-hmm. because it's it's got to be quick. It's it's going to be crowded. It's hard to serve the food when it's standing room only. Right. So we had to have stuff that was simple but also not just your bar food. You could do it the way when people are crowd surfing. You could have them serve the food that way. <laughs> <laughs> little, you Look, know. you could obliterate staff. Make it so That's much right. easier. <laughs> Surf this over to table 12, would you please? <laughs> and we wanted the diner aspect because we, we've been in the community for over 15 years. Right. So we wanted to be not the tourist place where the regulars can come mm-hmm. and get a burger. So we're able to close the music hall off from the diner with an interior garage door. So it makes it a more intimate little neighborhood kind of place. So we get a lot of the hospitality people before and after, mm-hmm. a lot of our regulars from Cantina, a lot of the yacht club, the boaters. So we kind of want to be a- away from the tourist zone on Pearl Street. Well, I think that's an interesting uh, and a very important point, because while the wharf is right now designated specifically for tourists, there are those who went down there anyway. And then you have the whole marina. So you have this whole you have like competing cultures that are down there right now. And I think um, it's hard to figure out who you need to be in touch with first. Well, I think the question is, is the war for locals? I mean, we get 27 million tourists every year. Are the tourists really going to, and a lot of them come in on buses and budgets and all that. I really feel like the war is for locals. I think, yeah, I think a lot of it is. And the way they did it was interesting. So it's not just the war. You know, they have the nooks and crannies, the side streets. And the way they program it. But so. it's also aesthetically beautiful. Yeah. I mean, they did a beautiful job with the pier, where the cantina is. They, I think there was a lot of extra care put into, I'm not saying it's perfect, but I think there was a lot of extra care putting in to the visual aesthetics, which you don't always see with a, a real estate venture as big as that. All right. So very hmm. quickly, let's tell everybody again how to find Pearl Street. And you this and bacon is really good. Bacon is really good. We're at 33 Pearl Street Southwest, so right in the... In the heart of the wharf, mm-hmm. um, 
Monday through Wednesday, we open at 3, 8.30 a.m. for breakfast uh, Thursday through the end of the week. So I better drink this and tell them about uh, the cocktail. Let's hope that... Oh, yeah. Uh, can you, you didn't explain the cocktail on air. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a Pimper's Paradise. A lot of our drinks are named after songs or bands. Mm-hmm. So it's plantation, pineapple rum, lime juice, and simple syrup. And so delicious. it's like a... Uh, Pineapple daiquiri. That's good. So it's that's beautiful. one of the, the featured cocktails. It's real good. All right. So everybody go to Pearl Street. There we go. Go check out some good yes. live music. We got a, we got about uh, two minutes left here. This wine, this is delicious. Okay, so tell us quickly. Pinot Noir guy. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So tell us quickly about this Pinot Noir and then the last wine you're going to pour. Sure. This is um, this is our original um, Pinot Noir. Um we only see the skin of the grapes for six days, which is why it's this beautiful color. Uh-huh. Um, it's a little darker and richer looking than a lot of Pinots. So they're sort of more rosy, you know. So there's depends. 100% Pinot Noir grapes in this Pinot Noir, which is kind of a dirty little secret in the industry is you only have to be 75% to be uh-huh. called a Pinot Blends, Noir. Right. Mm-hmm. So that can change the color of your Pinot Noir if you've got... Different grape blend, especially blender if the other twenty five percent is water. For <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they can get away with that. Probably not. Um, but we do a cold soak that uh, gravity fermenters. But it just overall, this became a cult Pinot Noir because it is so special and so great because of the fog in the morning burning off and the elevation and the acidity. Um, so it's really this extreme Sonoma Coast that makes it such a special Pinot Noir. Well, and we'll be broadcasting from there shortly because yeah. you're not getting oh, out of here alive. Right. Cool. Right. Well, and they're actually opening a visitor center in Healdsburg. Um, so in we about a year Healdsburg. from now, we'll go there too. Okay, so it's easier <laughs> to get to because when you go to this, it's about it's about two and a half hours from Napa to oh, get we to don't our care. winery. We're fine with that. Yeah, we're not. All right, you got thirty seconds to tell us about the next wine. Then we yes, got to end the show. The final wine is the estate wine that I think you guys are going to enjoy drinking later tonight. Um, okay. This is the one that's 100% um, farm, uh, farm biodynamic from the Camp Meeting Ridge Vineyard, where, where we'll be broadcasting from the house on top of the vineyard. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're ready to God's book ears. All right, let's All right. do it. And where do we find you guys online? Uh, flower, flowerswinery.com. Okay. And we're on many, many wine lists in D.C. All you have to do is look for flowers. Chardonnay, Pinot, or Rosé for flowers. Okay. And also, where can we find... Uh, your uh, your vintners. Vintners. Yes. Com. Excellent. Okay. All right. Thanks. All right. Thank so you. everything you heard about on the show today, you can find uh, more information uh, on uh, on Nikki's website, thelistareyouonit.com. Follow her on WTOP every Thursday live at 1240. Mm-hmm. Follow her on Instagram. Follow her on Twitter. Do not follow her in person because then I will get you. And that's it. Okay. Well, we want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. This was an absolutely delicious show. And what a great way to wrap it up before the July 4th weekend. Great wines, great music, great ice cream, and great food, which I think everybody should uh, make a part of your uh, big July 4th uh, week, which starts next week. So we won't be here next Sunday, but the following week, we're going to have a huge show. So we want to thank you all for joining us today. And everybody, please have a delicious week.